You're listening to The Worship Review, a podcast which evaluates contemporary Christian music for the good of the church to the glory of God. This podcast is for the whole church to encourage thoughtful engagement with the words, emotions, and ideas in our music. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hello and welcome to The Worship Review, the podcast where we critically, carefully, and charitably examine the texts of music as it's sung in the church. My name is Tyler. I'm a linguist, a former worship leader, and that's all. And I'm joined (laughs) by Colin. (laughs) My name's Colin. I'm a history professor. I also am a former worship leader. There's way more to me than that, though. I'm actually quite a complex and interesting person. Colin is complex and interesting, and I am not. And (laughs) before we get into today's episode, I thought listeners might find it interesting if we looked at some of our past ratings, our past rating system. So I have in front of me data from the entire first season and eight episodes of the second season. And... Colin, do you want to just take a guess? What do you think our average score was? Well, if we're including mostly the first series, it's got to be around two. Two? Yeah, it's a little higher than that. Uh, Okay. 2.9 was our average score. okay. Not too bad. So that's episode one of series one. Not as critical as we thought, as I thought at least. (laughs) Well, we could still be critical without being... Uh, well, no, but I thought our ratings were much lower than that. So we haven't actually been that hard. We've actually been slightly above 2.5. Like, yes. we've Our average for the songs that have been in the podcast is above a C. It's like a C plus. That is a little bit of a surprise to me, too, because I I always feel as if we're being harsh yeah, way and too hard, right? kicking stuff out. But I think in general, we'll, we are pretty amenable as long as things aren't extremely objectionable. Okay. And... I, I went a step further, Colin. Uh-huh. Do you want to know what your okay. average was and what my average was and whose was higher? Um, see, I always imagine I'm more critical, but I'm going to guess that you were slightly critical. I'm going to say that I was 3.2 and you were, you know, 2.7 or 2.6 or whatever. You're not far off, but you're also wrong. Ah, Our averages, at least up until episode eight of series two, are exactly the same. Oh no, kidding! Yes. Now the distribution. <laughs> we didn't always is give the same rating to songs, no, though. So we it just almost, kind of evened out. Yeah, we rarely give exactly the same rating. Yeah. Um, and I made histograms of each of our scores. So <laughs> it's a self-referential um, podcast. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. I can't oh, share wow. this image with the with the podcast. But our distributions are slightly different. So Colin, uh, you're in the blue here, and I'm in the red. So while our averages are the same. We're spread out differently. So ah. Colin, his bell curve of rating yeah. seems to hover right or right between two and three, but he's got ends that are pretty big. So he gives more songs more one than I do and more songs and more five than I do. My bell curve is also centered between two and three. And I give almost I give most songs a two or a three. Um yeah, I'm generous with the fours but I'm choosy with my fives and with my ones. Hmm. So I just have a sharp, sharper curve. You have a more flat curve, if that makes sense. But there's still an obvious curve there. Like we, we really prefer twos and then threes as well. Yep. 
Wow. But just the, we also gave enough fours and fives to bump it up to closer to three as an average. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. Probably only fascinating to us, <laughs> but still. But to, to be fair, this whole podcast is basically just for us. Like, you guys are just along for the ride. I mean, this is basically an excuse for Tyler and I to have these conversations about worship music. A few people around the world are willing to tolerate it as well. I appreciate that you're willing to tolerate us, but I do think that we um, we make these... <laughs> you're very special, listeners. <laughs> what I mean oh, is... Oh, we do work pretty yeah, darn hard. We, are, we work hard, and we do have in mind more than just our own entertainment. Oh, absolutely. We're trying to offer something yes. to you, and some of you who listen, listen not because you care about what we have to say, but, but because you care about us, and we appreciate yeah, you too, so... For sure. All Colin, right. what episode are we doing? What what are we doing right now? We are doing the song In the Garden and the version by Alan Jackson. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. So this is a song that's written originally in 1913 by C. Austin Miles. So, Tyler, I don't know if you want to give a summary, but maybe also if this is a good time to just explain your sort of previous experience with the song. I'll say... This is not the first time. Most songs, it's the first time Tyler and I have ever said much about the song at all. Uh, this is not the case with this song. Tyler and I have had a few, I don't know, kind of small conversations about the song because this song was in Tyler's wedding. Yes, this song was in my wedding. Yes, we have had conversations about it. Yes, I know that you have a lot of objections to it. And I think I actually share what I think your objections are going to be. We'll see. And full disclosure, listeners, this song is near and dear to my heart. So uh, if I appear to have a bias, it's because I do. <laughs> sure. And you're allowed to have that a little bit, as long as you disclose it, right? We don't pretend to be without biases, but, uh, well, let's get on with it here. So we'll just get on with it here. So what is... This song about what happens in the song. Okay, this song takes place in a garden. And... Can I... Which garden, (laughs) by the way? (laughs) It's not clear what garden we're talking about, but it takes place in a garden. Okay. Uh, In fact, it's given a definite article, The Garden. Um, And in this garden, a first-person speaker has a conversation with Christ. And they tarry there together. He says some things to him that are encouraging. He walks with him. Does he talk with him? We find out that this speaker would like to stay with Christ. But Christ says, go. Through a voice of woe. That's... Is that I it? Have. That's I. Okay. Can, do you have any more? Can you tell no, me what I, what's going on? That's a pretty good summary there. I mean, <laughs> short. Okay, 
So let's get into yeah. maybe some stanzas because I think we'll be able to pull out Grill me, Colin. a bit let's go. more. Let's walk together and talk together about this. I come to the garden alone While the dew is still on the roses And the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses, and the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. Yeah. In any other context other than a twangy country song, you would think that this person was about to tell you something terrifying, right? <laughs> the Son of God spoke to me alone. So this person goes to a garden. Can I just say, the idea of terror will come back at the very end of this podcast. Okay, so this person comes to a garden and emphasizes that this person is alone. So when we hear voices, it's not coming from someone nearby, right? Or another... Yeah person who isn't the son of God. So this person comes to the garden, is alone, and it appears to be early morning because there's dew and it's still on the roses. So I guess um, some cool night air has caused precipitation to rest on the roses. Yeah, it's Bouchard Gardens. (laughs) What gardens? Bouchard Gardens in Canada. Oh, what is Bouchard? Gardens. It's uh, it's a, one of the big famous gardens. It's got lots of roses and flowers, so that's that must be what it is. Oh, okay. Do they have dew on the roses? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's in uh, Victoria. It's in Victoria or Vancouver Island near Victoria, British oh. Columbia. I guess I missed it. No, it's a neat garden, and you can get like high tea there and everything. It's Ooh. a neat. It's a neat experience. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, we were there on our honeymoon. Oh. Romantic. Yeah. So, so this song is near and dear to your yeah, heart as well. It also well. has wet, you know, marriage references, I guess, in a in a more in a very convoluted way. sense. Yeah. And so this person is in the garden, it's early morning, the dew is still on the roses, and they hear a voice. And it's actually an audible voice. Mm-hmm. It's not just a voice in my head because it falls on my ear. Yeah. So this is a perceptible, audibly perceptible voice. And we find out that it's being disclosed or uncovered by the Son of God himself. So the question is, well, what does he say? Well, we'll find out in the chorus what yeah. he says. So in the chorus, it says, he walks with me and he talks with me. He tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. So yeah, Jesus is in the garden too. He hangs out, walks and talks. And he says that the worshiper is Jesus's own. What do you make of what Jesus says? So we walk together, we talk together, and he actually tells me that I am his own. Right. So you're not talking about superficial things. These are very deep, intimate things. Yes. Very intimate sentiments. And I think there's there's a possibility that this is um, supposed to be a kind of I think there's a possibility that this is a euphemism for the intimacy of Christ with his bride, the church. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 
that's not laid out in any clear way here. No, because the song is very individualistic. Yes, it it it, it is all about this individual's experience, mm-hmm. and Christ tells this individual that he, the individual, is Christ's own. I do think there is good biblical merit, sure, scriptural warrant for this idea. So, in Isaiah forty-three, the famous prophecy about deliverance from the captivity in Babylon, Babylon, um, Isaiah 43 says, but now this is what the Lord says, he who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. Mm. You are mine. Yeah. When you walk through the waters, through the floods, through the flames. Yeah. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom. Mm-hmm. So this is a God who deep, deeply cares about Jacob, about Israel. Yeah. Um, Presumably, but, though, in a collective sense, his people— yeah. He is talking about Israel as yeah. a nation. But of, of course, there's scriptural warrant to say that he cares about us as individuals, too. There are other scriptures yep. that talk about him giving us names and knowing the number of hairs on our head. I mean, there's there's lots of scripture about God loving us as individuals, mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So we, we are definitely loved as members of the community of faith that yeah. is referred to as Israel in this prophecy. And we are... Uh, we also see in the New Testament things like um, you are not your own, for mm-hmm. you are bought with a price, right? Yeah. So that's from First, first Corinthians. And we see there that uh, we are in a – even in a kind of economic sense, Christ's, right? Yeah. We were purchased for God. Yeah. He owns us, to use that word own in a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We are his own and we are – we are owned by him also. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We belong to his family, right? We've been brought into the household of God, to use Paul's language. Good warrant for, for this section. And then I think the part that is probably the most objectionable in this chorus is that the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Right. So we now, in my view, move from a kind of biblical individualistic love, commenting on the love God has for each of us, which is clearly there. This, to me, and I'm happy to hear your thoughts on this, has a sense of exceptionalism. Not only is there no church, no body of Christ, kind of just me and Jesus, but nobody else has really experienced what me and Jesus have experienced in the garden. Yeah. And I'm not sure that, I'm not sure that a Christian can say that. Mm-hmm. Do you think, I mean, I wonder how you see this. All humans are made in the image of God. And this, ba- this from this baseline, we get ideas of humanity as being composed of individuals that are equal before God yeah, and having inherent rights. And so there's a sense in which all individuals are equal, mm-hmm. but there's also a sense in which God made each of us individual and particular. Right. And so when we talk about salvation— for example, often on this show, for we will talk about 
salvation being both individual and corporate. Like mm-hmm. Christ had a bride, uh, God had a people that he wanted to save, but he also died for me individually. And uh, certainly in one sense, in the corporate sense, every Christian will experience what I experience in salvation, right? Mm-hmm. Because every Christian will have been brought from death to life, from sin to uh, sinlessness in Christ. But in the sense in which we were, we are all particular individuals, uh, wonderfully created in our mother's womb, I think we can say that each of us individuals, each of us unique individuals will experience a personal spiritual connection to God that yeah. is unlike any other. Sure. No other person can pray on your behalf. No other person can experience the world on your behalf. No other person can experience God on your behalf. All of that comes from you as an individual. So I so what I'm saying is there is room for an individual experience of God to be unlike any other, even unique, unique, even a joy that I experience in God that no one else could understand perhaps because they don't understand why this thing makes me so happy. Hmm. For example, I realize, however, this is something of a stretch because this song isn't talking about, at least ostensibly, a, an experience that I had in individual prayer with God. It's talking about walking in a garden and tarrying there and sharing a joy. And Jesus saying that the person is their own. Yes. Which that is something certainly that every Christian yes. experiences. Yes. So that would be my defense of what I think this song is going for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I agree with you about the idea of the uniqueness, that there is both a sameness to the church and then there is a personal uniqueness in terms of not only the way God has created us, but in the way that he designed, you know, our personality and our relationship with God. There, God, There's clear scripture that God has a, a kind of unique personal relationship with each of us too. What I, what I get a little bit worried about with the language here is this idea of almost like an in and an out group in a way. There's a, there's a kind of exceptional, an exceptionalist language here. The joy we we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. And you're right that there's a, there is a way you could fit that into what we've said about uniqueness and personal relationship. Sure. But oof, you know, that is, uh, that, that definitely leaves a door open yeah, to some troubling big things. Big door, a big door. I wonder also, me. Colin, if, if you would, you would agree with me, that even individual experiences of revelation, if Christ reveals something to you individually, they're to be tested in the scriptures, and also they are to be tested by the scriptures and by the community of faith sure. as well. So yeah. I can't come to church on a Sunday and say, well, I walked with Christ in a garden and he told me this, and you're all wrong about right. the scriptures. right? Because they would say, well— that doesn't really sound like Christ as we know him to be and as he's revealed yeah. himself to be in the scriptures. Right. And we have in scripture warrant for elders to 
help supervise and to guard and protect the peace and purity of the church in that way. Mm-hmm. I have a couple of... I would say, Colin, there is another passage in the Bible where I would point to a kind of secret knowledge Mm -hmm. held by the believer and not shared with other Christians. Mm. And that would be in the second chapter of Revelation. And John is writing to the seven churches, and he says this in verse 17, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. So the name that is written on this white stone, this kind of mysterious white stone, is a secret in a sense. It's not known by any other person. Hmm. It's presumably known by by omniscient God. Yeah, it's known by God, but it's private to just God and the person. It's individual, yeah. yeah. It's unique. Yeah. Um, I was trying to figure out what the stone was, and it seems like the consensus, Colin, I, I don't think you would know anything about this because I don't think you know anything about history, but um, at this time, people would cast their votes mm-hmm. on matters with rocks, and this same word for stone in Revelation, psephos, was used in Acts 26 when... Uh, Paul is being tried in uh, Caesarea in Jerusalem, and he says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And so that word vote uh, is actually psephos, this rock Hmm. thing again. And so the... One of the consent, there are obviously, there's not just one consensus, but there are many schools on what this rock is. One of them is the white stone that is given to us is a a vote. It is a declaration of our innocence Mm. from God himself. Um, And our name is written on it because it's particular to us. So it's really like a verdict stone. Um, Oh, that's fascinating. Okay. So that's the, the rock. But the real, the interesting thing is that the name is only known by the believer. And Colin, what if that gives them joy? Then can the joy that they share in that moment be known only to him in Christ? In a sense, yes, because the joy from that secret name would be, or that private name. that particular name. Yes, could not, by definition, be known to others. And certainly, yeah, we don't subscribe to the idea that we basically, like almost Gaiism or something, like we rejoin this amorphous blob of collective... uh, you know, energy or something like that in heaven where we just kind of lose our individuality. That's, that's yeah. not, we, we clearly have individuality throughout. We have it now, we have it in heaven. And that includes individuality does put boundaries between beings. So like in heaven, I will be me, Tyler will be you, you know, my wife will be her, like, they're, like we won't yeah, all mush together. It's not just a together. sea of souls or something. Yeah, we, yeah exactly. We won't, we won't mush together in that way. Hmm. So for sure. But can I play your argument out a little bit more sure. in my head? So if I'm given a stone and only I know the name on it, and I say, well, no one else knows the joy that I have when I receive this secret name, 
and you say, well, everyone else got a secret name rock too. Yeah, like everyone else uh, yeah. got this, got a, a joy that is similar, but not identical, yes. right? So is that kind of what you're saying? I don't disagree with what you've said about that there are aspects of the joy we could share with Christ that would be private and that no one else could know. I do think it goes into dangerous territory by not also adding the kind of categorical aspects. Like when Paul talks about the body of Christ, he notes individual members, but he makes it very clear that there's no no member is like better than the other. And I just think this language gets too close to implying a kind of in and out group or a kind of almost hierarchy of experience in some way. Because this song, of course, is very much about the experience of walking in the garden, which I just, I find that troubling. I wonder if you are, to use a funny word, a little bit triggered by this. Could be. Because you've been in churches where certain spiritual gifts would, would demarcate kind of a true believer yes. group from a just normie Christian yes. group. Yes. So you're saying, I I won't walk in the garden and you can't make me. <laughs> just because you went to the garden doesn't mean that you're any better than me. I'm absolutely not above such such conflations with my own personal experience and having some reactions to things for sure. Yeah, you may be right. I'd stay in the garden with him But the night around me is falling But he bids me go Through the voice of woe His voice to me is calling I'd stay in the garden with him in the Alan Jackson version. So there's no verse about birds, but we can talk about the verse about birds in a little bit. Alan Jackson just goes right into, I stay in the garden with him, though the night around me is falling, but he bids me go through the voice of woe. His voice to me is calling. Well, listeners, I think the... Let's defend this song. Train is has already passed. It's uh, last. I think we're nearing the last stop on the. Let's okay. keep this train afloat. Uh, I'm not even making any sense. I don't know how to defend what's said here. So, but I'll try and make some sense of it. Just okay. kind of coherence level. The night around me is falling right now. So the, though it be falling. So presumably we started off with the dew on the roses. So yes. a whole day has gone by. I think they've been walking and talking and and. Um, sharing sure. joy yeah. all day long. Okay, that's what I think. Um, I and he's saying he's actually kind of setting he's setting up a hypothetical. I would stay with him <laughs> in the garden, even though or even if the night around me were falling. Okay. So, um, he's saying. I would stay here all night. I would walk in the darkness with Christ and enjoy this joy. But, and this is the but, and I don't understand what's happening. He bids me go. So Christ who says, um, well, the Lord who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The one who says, where two or more are gathered in my name, there am I also. The one whose atonement gives us the indwelling of the Holy Spirit 
bids us to leave this garden that mm-hmm. we've experienced intimacy and joy and um, a kind of sacred solitude with mm-hmm. him in. He bids us to go, and he suddenly, he hasn't up until this point seemed to have this, but suddenly he's got a voice of woe. Yeah. Which is like uh, grief or regret. Yeah. And I couldn't make sense of it, but something just came to me as I said that. I wonder if it's the whole, if it's actually the sending me out that's causing him this deep emotional response. So he's got a voice of woe. And, so he'd tarry there with you too. Yeah. Though the night were falling. But you've got to go. You know, you kind of got to get out of here. I'm so sorry, Colin, but Please, you just need to go. I don't need you anymore. Yeah, I, I, I'm, seeing a, I'm seeing a rom-com in my head yeah. right now as I'm playing this out. Or so, like a, a movie about a pet where you have to trick the pet uh, into leaving so that he goes out in the wild. He can finally be free. That is sad. Yeah. So so Christ has a voice of woe all of a sudden. Um, he's telling me to leave, but he's calling to me with his voice. And believe it or not, that's the end of the song. I, it's not, it's not, and there's a resolution. You know, we, we enter into heaven at the end of time, or, you know, I go to be with him when I die. That's the end of the song. Christ is sad. He's telling me to leave, and he's calling to me. And it cuts off right there. Right. Well, I mean, technically the refrain repeats again, but yeah. there's no new information after this. The refrain at that point, though, is a memory. Yes, it's not, right. he's kicking me out and walking with me and talking right. with me. Colin, do you have any idea what this is? I do. Thank you. Awesome. What is this? So, this song is written uh, after the author, C. Austin Miles, had claims to have had a vision, a waking dream. He actually says... Uh, wow i'll read the interview hold on thank you okay so what i said earlier about the testing the spirits thing is oh yeah very he's clearly in a tradition where this is there one day in march 1912 i drew my bible towards me it opened at my favorite chapter john chapter 20 that meeting of jesus and mary magdalene had lost none of its power to charm as i read it that day i seemed to be part of the scene I became a silent witness to that dramatic moment in Mary's life when she knelt before her Lord. My hands were resting in the Bible, and I stared at the light blue wall. As the light faded, I seemed to be standing at the entrance of a garden, looking down a gently winding path, shaded by olive branches. Uh, Then the author describes seeing Jesus encountering Mary Magdalene. And then he awakens, and he was gripping the Bible, and he was absolutely shooken by having this vision. Under the inspiration of this vision, I wrote as quickly as the words could be formed, the poem exactly as it appeared. And then you end up getting the song. So this is about Mary Magdalene meeting with Jesus after the resurrection. So that helps us understand, because what happens in that garden is that, in John chapter 20, is that Mary Magdalene is really sad. She's weeping. She's distraught over Jesus' body being missing. And then he suddenly appears. And they have a very brief conversation, unlike in the song where it just kind of goes on and on. 
They have a very brief conversation. And then Jesus tells Mary Magdalene, well, hey, like you need to go and tell people about this. And so that's where the the, the kind of bid me go hap- happens. Right. And he's not kicking her out. He's telling her to go. Yeah. Spread the go good spread news. the news. And that also makes sense at the very beginning, though, because Mary is in the garden alone. She's, yeah. she's not, she's by herself. And the dew is still on the yeah, roses, it's the so morning. to speak. Right. Because right. she goes the first thing in the morning. Exactly. So it has a kind of Easter aspect to it. And it also has this, it's just kind of a, and again, this, the author of the song seems to kind of also think of himself as well in this place. Like he's talking about Mary, but he's also kind of talking about Christians too, because it's not exactly the same as the biblical account. He just kind of uses it as a, a template to kind of generalize it to an experience that maybe others could also experience at the same time, but just being inspired by John chapter 20. So that's kind of why some of the odd things are in this song, because they're they're kind of obliquely referencing John chapter 20. So I thought that some of the syntax in the first verse was funny. So the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. So I read that as... The Son of God reveals a voice to me. I think it's that's the opposite subject-object order. No. What's happening here is that the voice that I hear discloses the Son of God right. to me. Mary was familiar with this voice. Yes. She, not the first time she had heard it. So this this is actually better than I thought it was. Yeah. And then, so let's talk about the second verse, because it, it to me, is a strange one. He speaks, and the sound of his voice... Excuse me. He speaks, and the sound of his voice is so sweet, the birds hush their singing, and the melody that he gave to me within my heart is ringing. So this is, you know, obviously this is completely out of the realm of John 20 possibility, presumably. It's almost like Jesus is singing to her or something. Yeah, he teaches her a melody, or he gives her a melody. I'm saying her because I'm thinking of Mary Magdalene, but the author... With, that it's is still both. ringing and echoing in the heart of the author. Um, I don't think that we have any real warrant for saying that his voice is sweet, even. I mean, he had a presumably pretty normal larynx. There's nothing, or, you know, and a vocal tract that was pretty typical. We have no reason in the scriptures to believe he had anything kind of remarkable yeah, about his voice. you're talking about Jesus' physical, literal, yeah. bodily voice. Yeah. yeah, and he's speaking to her with his physical body, yeah. right? I don't know. Yeah. Obviously, there are portions of scripture where God sings over us and that presumably is a is okay. a lovely sound but this is this is talking about the literal voice of Christ in Speaking, the garden so yeah. yeah i think your your point is is the better one abstracting his words it, are like honey maybe there's a sense of yeah but but that's all abstract this this is not talking about an abstraction yeah. this is talking about the literal voice of Christ yeah which we have no we don't know you ask for my yeah, concluding what are, remarks? I mean, do you have overall thoughts now that we've talked about the whole song, the second verse as well that was missing, and also you've gotten a sense now of the kind yeah. of the authorial background of the song? Yeah, my first reading was somewhat perplexed. My second reading is still perplexed, but less so. It is It is actually a net bonus to me, a net positive to me that there is a scriptural basis for the encounter described in the song. You do have to do a lot of legwork to defend some of the assertions in this. 
as I said earlier, the door is left open to spurious interpretations. But I don't find it reprehensible at all. How about you? Uh, uh, I didn't care for the song much going into it. I think what you've said about the uniqueness of our relationship with God and aspects of our individual relationships do does move me a bit. I just think this song doesn't really explain. This song just leaves bad interpretations, though, just yeah. too much in the as an option. It's heavily individualistic, and it's fine. There are songs that. It's like we don't I don't think songs can't use like I language and me language, of course. We see that in all throughout Psalms, for example. It's plenty of individualistic language. But I just find this uh I don't know. It's I just don't see much value in the song. I don't see any gospel. I don't I don't know, like the scriptural connection even, like you wouldn't know it unless you like you didn't know it. Unless, no, I didn't. I didn't pick it up unless somebody tells it to you. Like when you just sing this song, it just seems like this weird story about being in a garden with Jesus, where he talks to you and walks with you, and then he asks you to leave, but he kind of doesn't want you to leave, and then that's it. Just I don't know. This song to me, on its own merits, doesn't really make much sense, and I don't think really adds any value. Yeah, I will say there's nothing in the song to indicate that the Son of God that we're talking to is resurrected just now, oh, which that's sure. that's a big deal yeah, in sure. John 20. Um, yeah. It's it's startling to hear the voice of the Son of God, not just because he's the Son of God, but because she thought he was dead. Mm-hmm. So that's that's absent from this. But and I would say, just to remind you, Colin, and me, and our listeners, we're not talking about this song as something that you might put on a playlist— for yourself when you're driving to work. We're That's talking correct. about, is this a song that we would recommend singing in corporate worship? Yeah. Or that we certainly we could endorse for that purpose. Yeah. Is this a song? Like the bar is not. Yeah. Can you listen to this song and still be a Christian? The, the yeah. bar is, is this something that you would want to hear on the mouth of the people of God? Gathered in a Sunday morning worship service. Right. Singing back to God. Because that's the kind of stuff you need to be pretty careful about. Yeah. And I have to say, for me, I could not endorse this song for that purpose. I just couldn't. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether you can. Yeah. I don't want to hear churches singing this song. Yeah. Finding a wedding. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was, um, it was beautiful. That no, was very my sweet. Wedding. Our friend, our mutual friend played a nice version of this it was good yeah and in in my since we're talking about my wedding in my wedding it was used to emphasize precisely the good things that i've pointed out about this song that um this this savior is known and loved on a really intimate level by this person so yeah well tyler what would you give this song as a rating I give it two out of five alcoholic beverages. <laughs> not it's not about drunkenness or anything, uh, but Alan Jackson famously performed "It's Five O'clock Somewhere," and so 
That's what I thought of. Like the the same guy singing these words is singing. It's five o'clock somewhere. I was thinking about this when I saw the Alan Jackson version of this song in the video because I thought, like, surely at some other point in this conference, uh, in this concert, he's sung that song. Yeah, like, he's at so the Grand Ole Opry, I think, in yeah. the music video. So like these people are all like hearing this song about Jesus, and then you know five minutes later or you know twenty minutes earlier they were singing about drinking and I don't know kind of funny maybe funny is not the right word it's kind of unfortunate but colin the music the the video starts and ends and then you're supposed to view it in isolation and not think about those things that's true i guess what did you give it i gave this one out of five creepy jesus voices creepy jesus voices i'll show you the reference real quick Please don't. (laughs) I don't want to hear. So the reference is to the Jesus Storybook Bible. And one time I was in a church, my church in England, my very beloved church that I still think very well of in England. Hello, governor. They did. Nobody sounded like that in that church. <laughs> Actually, it, it was. You know, Wait, they weren't on south in South London. No, they were. Cockney? It was in Bristol and. Uh, Fortunately, nobody in that church that I recall had a thick Bristolian accent because that they would sound like hobbits and pirates. Basically, um, there were there were transplants from various parts of the UK. Or, or anyway, um, so in this church we were we had an Easter service, and for the for one of the services they showed a video from the Jesus Storybook Bible, and there was a. Jesus just has a terrifying voice in that he like it was frightening mm-hmm. um and I almost just laughed out loud at this very serious moment so let me play it for you just then Mary heard someone else in the garden perhaps it's the gardener she thought he'll know where Jesus's body is I don't know where Jesus is Mary said urgently I can't find him but it was all right Jesus knew where she was and he had found her. Mary. Only one person said her name like that. So, uh, anyway, one out of five creepy Jesus voices. Mary. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, you know, that whole section of the, just like a two-minute section, and if somebody put, like, horror music behind it, it would totally changed the character of that reading and it would sound utterly terrifying the other women rushed home but mary stayed behind how could it be true jesus was definitely dead how could he be alive just then mary heard someone else in the garden perhaps it's the gardener she thought he'll know where jesus's body is I don't know where Jesus is, Mary said urgently. I can't find him. But it was all right. Jesus knew where she was, and he had found her. Mary. Only one person said her name like that. She could hear her heart thumping. She turned around. She could just make out a figure. She shaded her eyes to see and thought she was dreaming. But she wasn't dreaming. She was seeing. 
Sudden tears filled her eyes, and great sobs shook her whole body. Tell the others that I'm alive. Mary ran and ran all the way to the city. She had never run so fast or so far in all her life. She felt she could have run forever. She didn't even feel like her feet touched the ground. And it seemed to her that morning, as she ran, almost as if the whole world, the trees, the tiny sounds in the grass, the birds... <sighs> Was he making even death come untrue? They won't believe it. I hope that's not a form of blasphemy that I just engaged in. But, well, um, I suppose that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening to The Worship Review. We hope that you will follow us on Twitter. Check out our back catalog of episodes. We've got a good number of them now, and we hope that they're helpful to you, either if you're a worship leader or a pastor, but also if you just want to learn more about worship music in general, you're just a casual listener. Go ahead and check out that back catalog. Send them to your friends. and. let us know as well um, what you find helpful, what you find not helpful. You can send that email to feedback at the Worship Review or leave comments on our episode. You can even leave us voicemails, I think, through anchor.f, anchor.fm slash the Worship Review. Yeah. So uh, take care. We'll see you next time. Bye. You've been listening to The Worship Review. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, or email us at feedback at theworshipreview.com. We accept donations at anchor.fm slash theworshipreview and patreon.com slash theworshipreview. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.